The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Good morning. I wanted to start with uh, some words from an essay by David White on courage. It's from a book called Consolations. Courage is a word that tempts us to think outwardly, to run bravely against opposing fire, to do something under besieging circumstance, and perhaps above all, to be seen to do it in public, maybe to show courage. But courage is a measure of our heartfelt participation with life, with another, with a community, a work, a future. Brene Brown says the root of courage is core, the Latin word for heart, in one of its earliest forms, the word courage meant to speak one's mind by telling all one's heart. To be courageous is not necessarily to go anywhere or to do anything except to make conscious those things we already feel deeply and then to live through the unending vulnerabilities of those consequences. To be courageous is to seat our feelings deeply in the body and in the world, to live up to and into the necessities of relationships that often already exist, with things we find we already care deeply about, with a person, a future, a possibility in society, or with an unknown that begs us on and always has begged us on. To be courageous is to stay close to the way we are made. Courage is what love looks like when tested by simple, everyday necessities of being alive. I think we can, I resonate with that. <laughs> tested by the simple everyday necessities of being alive. The French philosopher Camus used to tell himself quietly to live to the point of tears. Not a call for maudlin sentimentality, but as an invitation to the deep privilege of belonging and the way belonging affects us shapes us and breaks our heart at a fundamental level. It is a fundamental dynamic of human incarnation to be moved by what we feel, as if surprised by the actuality and privilege of love and affection and its possible loss. Courage is what love looks like when tested by the simple everyday necessities of being alive. 
We become courageous whenever we live closely to the point of tears with any new possibility made known inside us, if you think about that. Whenever we demonstrate a faith in the interior enunciations and align ourselves with the new and surprising and heartfelt necessities of even the average existence, to allow ourselves to feel deeply and thoroughly what has already come into being is to change our future, simply by living up to the consequence of knowing what we hold in our affections. On the inside, we come to know who and what and how we love and what we can do to deepen that love only from the outside and only by looking back does it look like courage. From the inside, it can feel like confusion. Only slowly do we learn what we really care about and allow our outer life to be realigned in that gravitational pull. With maturity, that robust vulnerability comes to feel like the only necessary way forward, the only real invitation, and the surest, safest ground from which to step. On the inside, we come to know who and what and how we love and what we can do to deepen that love. Only from the outside and only by looking back does it look like courage. So it's really nice to be here this morning um, with all of you. Some of you are new. Welcome. I've been in Hello? (laughs) I have a story for you after this. Oh. (laughs) I've been in New Zealand uh, for a couple weeks in in the beginning of January with our sangha. Uh, That's pretty far away, I must say, and just amazing um, to be able to get there, up in the air. Um, I hesitated. It it was a decision um, to, you know, do that, to go all that distance and use all that fuel. But as soon as I landed in New Zealand and met our sangha there that we've had for 35 years and their hunger for the Dharma and for teachings and for practice together. Um, it was well worth it. I understood what it, what, it, what it was about. Just as I feel here, I missed you all here so much and felt that connection both ways. It was really lovely. So I'm a little, still a little wonky. It's like I'm usually asleep early at night, and now I'm like ready to go at 10 o'clock. <laughs> and then more, morning comes, and I'm like, Brrr. so this was kind of interesting to work on. So I don't know what's going to happen, but courage is what <laughs> I said. Have courage. What was going to come to me? And uh, Yuna and I put in the newsletter this phrase from that Dogen writes. This world has causes and it has effects. We cause the causes of this world and affected by the effects of the world. So to let ripen in our right view and practice to liberate our delusions, let us find strength, calmness, and courage. 
It's no small thing. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here and taking a backward step. Um, so yesterday we had a retreat. I led with Kisei in touch with Jizo Bodhisattva, who's um, uh, a pilgrim, um, a well-known bodhisattva um, who dedicates their life to helping free others caused by fear, anger, and ignorance um, into their wise and courageous, enlightened nature. So we were looking at this Jizo Bodhisattva. We have one at the top of the stairs that Chosen Roshi made in concrete with um, a staff with the six realms of existence on the staff, because Jizo is that being, which might be present here, who loves to go into hell to help people. So they're so, I think of Don Quixote, willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. They march right into situations where it's hell. And a lot of us do do that, or there's some of it does that for us, marches in. That's Jizo, that, that kind of energy, that spirit. So we had the Jizo up in the room with us, and I said this. I was giving some teachings about the Bodhisattva and the archetype, um, and ta- talking about it as it could be possibly an archetype. And I read this by Daniel Layton, which he says... Um, archetypes, by taking them as our models, we may find our own approach to the spiritual journey that acknowledges and connects us with all creation. So we take Buddha or Avalokiteshvara or Mahaprajapati as an archetype, a model of this courageous being, this um, way of wanting to help all beings that could help us in our journey and create, connect us. And then I read, he defines archetypes as components of the psyche and catalysts to self-understanding, these archetypes. And then he writes, if all beings have the capacity for clear, open, awakened awareness posited by the teachings of Buddha nature, our true nature, then by seeing the bodhisattvas as archetypes, patterns, or approaches to awakening activity, we may learn models with which we can each express the elements of our own enlightenment and beneficial nature. Then he goes on to say that in Buddhist stories, bodhisattvas have been mythologized and prayed to, depicted in art, worshipped, channeled, even identified with. And some practitioners, I said, think they're real, and others view them as a product of the mind. And um, which focuses of meditation or imagined embodiments are an archetypal force. Many people I know refuse to make a clear distinction from them being real or unreal. And I said, one Tibetan teacher who, when asked, are, are the cosmic bodhisattvas real, replied, yes, but they know they are not. And so I said that, and all of a sudden, we're in a circle, the row of people in front of me go, oh, and I thought 12 people were enlightened at once. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the bodhisattva falls off the stand, the concrete bodhisattva, onto the floor. Ba-boom. And we're all just like, ga 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 And it was just one of those moments 
with the line, somebody remind us, are they real or unreal? Yes, but they know they are not. Kaboom. <laughs> and many of you are here to bear witness. Anyway, I wanted to share that with you. That was great. Um, so here's my little guy we made yesterday, Chizo Bodhisattva. Now, I'll just have them sit here along with me. <laughs> Protector of travelers, women, uh, children. Um, in particular, and just all, all beings in general. Many years ago, a, a dear friend of me presented me with a necklace, a simple clay bead looped through a string of red leather, and inscribed on the bead was the Chinese character for courage. And she knew I didn't really wear things, but since she found it and it struck her, uh, she thought it was something that I could wear around my neck and I could look at it. It was at a time where I needed that, I needed courage, and she was responding to me. And she said, if you don't wear it, maybe you could hang it on the wall. And I thought, maybe I could just keep it in my robe sleeve. And the character for um, courage is um, standing in tall weeds. So it's one character is standing, and then the other is in tall weeds. And she knew I needed some weed whacking. I called it bush whacking, <laughs> much more thicker. Um, and she said, you have strength. I didn't feel it at that moment, really, just 1%. And she said, as she was putting it on my neck, this can be your reminder. And I loved it. And I looked at it often. And for a while, I did wear it around my neck, hoping some of the juju would, <laughs> would steep in, steep in, and let that intention um, of courage seep into my skin, into my bones, into my pores, into my actions, into my mind. I needed the help I could get. And I felt, too, my friend's good belief and support. And at times, I realized I would apply courage in very weird ways uh, towards the wrong thing, which I discovered I, I now call wonderful projections. I did not need it to propel me into what awaited on the other side. I needed it to endure what I was experiencing at this moment, at that moment on the threshold, in the, in the midst of all the doubt and disappointment I was experiencing. And I know this is a time where also for us, there's a lot of fear. I mean, we're all experts in fear. <laughs> I don't have to tell you about fear. You're an expert. I'm an expert. In fact, Georgia O'Keefe said, uh, she said, uh, I found this which I really resonated with, uh, in expressing a courageous attitude toward fear. She said, I've been absolutely terrified every moment of my life, and I never kept it from do me from doing a single thing I wanted to do. I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm terrified almost every moment of my life, and that's, I keep 
trying to meet that at every moment, and that's courage, right? And that as you reflect back, because that's always sort of there. So, um, what was I most afraid of? What are you most afraid of? This is an election year. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that makes you terrified. <laughs> Lots of things. The earth. But in retrospect, in one sense, I was most afraid of passing through or being in a place of no place. Not here and not there. A place of not doing, not engaging, not reaching, not knowing. I was terrified of that. I remember saying to my teacher, I don't know where I'm at. (laughs) I don't know where I am. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. And there was a part that was like, okay, okay, too. But yet it was terrifying. But yet it was okay on some level with practice. The Spanish poet Juan Ramon Jimenez, in part of a poem, I have his poetry book, he writes, It seems that down there, in the depths, my boat was struck against a great thing. Nothing happens. Nothing. Silence. Waves. Nothing. Nothing happens? Or has everything happened? And we're just standing now quietly in the new life. So that struck me. So we come up against a great thing. And we start rallying all our resources. Was it really too much to ask that I receive more than silence down there? Is it really too much to ask that I receive more than silence? Couldn't we expect some reward for a courageous act? Some clear feedback? A well-marked road sign? Do me. Give me a sign. (laughs) Begging. Pleading. Goddess in the sky. Someone. Something. Just give me a sign. The feeling was, then I would know to carry on with something. And sometimes there were signs. If I was quiet enough in that silence and not looking. Some plan, some way to be, some clear answer. Then I might know that soon, preferably immediately, (laughs) I would find firm ground on the other side of the threshold. As it turns out, Yes, I was asking a bit off to the side, not into the chamber. It wasn't like Alice in Wonderland, who one of my mentors, one of my bodhisattvas, that I was falling through the rabbit hole without trying to grab something like she did. Oh, so curious as we're falling. No, it was like, ah, whoop, <laughs> ah. Whoop! (laughs) Slip. Nope. Nothing. Um, Just look around on the way down and be curious with grabbing on, without grabbing onto the sides. Nope. Buddhist teacher Pema Chodron speaks about addiction to hope. 
not the easiest concept to adjust, I think, for most of us, having grown up with the belief that hope is a fruit of the spirit, a sign that our heart is in the right place, right? Pema clarifies her term by defining hope as, this is Pema's words, the human tendency to relentlessly, addictively, seek certainty and solidity in a world of impermanence and change. Hopelessness, on the other hand, is the liberated state of becoming totally fed up. Like, that's liber. I'm totally fed up. That's so liberating. Totally fed up with a cycle of desire and disappointment. Hopelessness renounces the process of releasing one thing only to cling immediately to another. Hopelessness embraces the hovering threshold experience. Without giving hope, Pema writes, without giving up hope, she writes, that's that there's somewhere better to be, that there's someone better to be. We will never relax with what, with with where we are and who we are. So I think we know this. It's just restless in that wanting to be somewhere else or someone else. And it's um, very subtle sometimes in our zazen, feeling that pull. I see you all nodding. (laughs) I know this. Yes. Relaxing with ourselves right where we are, That's what we're learning to do. That's what we're practicing. So that becomes more intuitive, spontaneous, because so much has moved us to not relaxing right where we are. Everything, a lot of things externally and internally keep us moving away. How do we do that when we find ourselves not on solid ground, but under the unfamiliar waters of the ocean? No boat, no map, and no idea what is up or down. That's what I kept saying to my teacher for months. I don't know what's up or down. I don't know what, what. And that was not in a good way. Now I say it like, no, I I actually don't, and it's okay. That's like, that uncertainty is true and more at home. How do we do that when we are in the depths? As, him, as the poet writes, with waves pummeling us and a great formidable silence surrounding us. Re- relaxing there sounds like these gray days of February. Not winter, not spring, some snow, some rain, mostly cold, sudden strange warmth generally gray, foggy, raw, bone-chilling, occasionally sunny, (laughs) nothing consistent, nothing predictable, except for a deep abiding hope that real spring will come soon, confirmed by the evidence of the miraculous tips on the trees, sometimes the little heads of crocuses coming up with snow hats on, from patches of the dark earth. It has a hold on us, this clinging to something better, something better than now. 
what could be better than this? This is it. Us. This is the Sangha. I always say that on the subway. I look at the people and I'm like, this is it. (laughs) Something happens. These are my peeps. I'm on the airplane. Okay, these are my peeps in my curtained area. This is it. This is it, truly. No past, no future. Here. But we're going to go both ways, then here. As fear of sitting with our own pain, our lack of control is often what keeps me, us, suffering and involved in a particular, particular mind state. There are times we cannot seem to either release hope or find hope, one extreme or the other. And on those days, a part of me prayed and prayed and prayed to be able to open a door, jump over the threshold of not here and not there, and land somewhere solid, stable, and secure. And then there was the other side part that had the courage to trust it was just right. That this was all just right. This moment was just right. This moment of trying and seeing it and being aware of it was just right. As uncomfortable and as it was, that was it. That's what was arising to see. And then... How do I practice that? How do I bring that to my path? How do I discern what is true right now? What is true? No, Not needing fixing or adjusting, just seeing the painful thought and inquiring into it. So when I experienced only air beneath my feet and a relentless sense of free fall, and the incessant chatter of my anxiety and doubt and fear and dissonance, practicing that, practicing that liminal place. And that wavers, that would waver, still wavers. And I'd often leap right back to the door, just like a cartoon character who's run off the edge of a cliff, (laughs) right back to the familiar. Life on one side was an exhausting cycle of intense experience after a while, but at least I knew where I stood. At least we know where we stand. I did not savor the illusion of future ease. I couldn't even think about the future. If someone said to me, don't worry, you get through this in a few months, you'll be fine, I wanted to deck them. (laughs) They were helping me, but it was just like, Don't even say that because I don't know. I don't see that. I don't know that. And it was, I was just like, I know you mean well. I would say, I know you mean well, but don't say that because I don't know that. I'm fine here. Hopelessness found me. Until hopelessness found me, it was a matter of becoming worn out with the cycle of becoming dispassionate to keep leaping back into the small, known world. I would ride the ridge of giving up, giving in, and slowly softening in the process of what is happening now. It's a slow process, but it's possible. Yet imperfectly, this is the daily work and the practice of staying put. 
chemist says it's like the moon. We learn to stay put. Do you ever see? The moon doesn't go anywhere. It stays put. So it's good to look at the moon. Ah, oh, stay put. And relaxing with the whole being of wholeness. Waking up on schedule, going to work, going on schedule for me. I bowed into the despair wherever and whenever. I sobbed buckets of tears through waves of grief. I bowed in relationship to death through the sharpness of loneliness. And I laughed. Then it happens. Someplace new is here. Nothing happens. Nothing. Silence. Waves. Nothing. Or has everything happened? Am I standing now in the new life? I love when poets nail a feeling. <laughs> like that's, that's the magic. Those of you that can do that, wow. <laughs> Most of us can. Something that's so universal. And it just makes me say thank you and gratitude that I have something next to me at that moment. I'm, I'm, I'm not, in some of the darkest moments, poetry or song, music, has been like a saving grace. Nothing and everything, silence and the stirrings of rebirth, clear action and uncertainty, all of it together, right here, right here, right now, all together, the new life being defined, right here, right now. Every thought of the mind and action of the body in the silence, in the emptiness, in the anxiety, in the joy, in the sorrow, in the noise of the calm, in the calm, in the disappointment, in the light. The new life is happening in the honest, direct, courageous encounters we have. As miraculous as this constant rebirth can seem, it's definitely not always fun to stand firm within it. It takes courage. You have courage. It takes courage to slow down and settle onto your mat where we're busy and distracted. Why isn't all of New York in here? I mean, we shouldn't fit. It takes courage to sit still when our nervous system feels jumpy, our breath uneven, and our minds like an echo chamber of torture. Wow, like we sit there and face that and see it for what it is. Come by it honestly. It takes courage to not just grimly endure, but to gently Encounter the noise of the mind that longs to define and label. And go to the mystery. I don't know. As it wants to, it's this, it's that, da 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 da. I don't know. It's da 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 da. I don't know. Da 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 da. And then it becomes laughable. Just goes and goes and goes and goes. So we leap. Leap out of the rut with a breath, just returning to the breath. You're seeing, aware, breath, seeing, aware, 
breath deepening the trust in that place of no place that we are, the spaciousness that we can surround a thought with, surround our being with. We are that space. We can't control what's going to happen anywhere, but we can work with ourselves. And maybe we can even laugh. I say that because laughing is a handy resource. Not fake, but it's a handy resource. It builds more courage, actually, when we can realize that that dreaded threshold situation of groundless silence and space will not actually give way to, but that, that, this is it. (laughs) This is it. This very moment, this great thing. It's part of this perfect unfolding. So don't poo-poo your experience. As Buddha is quoted saying in a sutra, and how do, you, how do you protect others when protecting yourself? By pursuing the practice, developing it, devoting yourself to it. Thani Sarobiku writes, in times of crisis, we often feel we don't have the time or energy to practice. But those are precisely the times when the practice is most necessary. This is what we've been practicing for, the situations where practice doesn't come easily. When the winds of change reach hurricane force, our inner refuge of mindfulness, concentration, and discernment is the only thing that will keep us from getting blown away. When we can be secure in our inner source for true happiness, we don't expose ourselves to the devastation that comes when outside hopes for happiness and security are dashed. We have our shelter, our place of security inside, and we needn't be afraid that this is an escapist shelter. When the basis of our well-being is firm within, we can act with true courage and compassion for others and and ourself, and coming from a solid position of calmness and strength. I um, have a dharma peer that, from another, another teacher and another sangha that I PR, speak with once a month on the phone, and we just go over our sanghas, and like, I, you know, I, I can't talk to everyone, so like, what are you experiencing with people <laughs> and relationships in the sangha? And, and this is a quote from a, a talk she used on, um, from Dogen's Ehei Kuroku. Traveling the land without fearing the tiger is the courage of the hunter. Sailing the sea without fearing the deep sea dragon is the courage of the fisherman. Facing the sword drawn before you and seeing life as like death is the courage of the general. What is the courage of a practitioner or a patched robe monk? Set out your cushions and sit. Lay out your bowls and eat. Exhale through your nostrils. Radiate light from your eyes. Do you know there is something which goes beyond? With vitality, eat lots of rice and then use the toilet. (laughs) 
this is a great master, right? Transcend your personal prediction of future Buddhahood from Gautama. Dogen tells us by setting out our cushions and sitting and taking and meeting the Dharma that is in front of us, we will find transcendence. If we meet that, we will find transcendence. He honors not like going beyond as circumnav- circum avoiding, <laughs> bypassing, but through is what he's speaking of. He honors that everyday courage of being alone with ourselves. And then just as the Buddha offered metta practice, loving kindness practice to his disciples who went into the forest and were scared, we can offer ourselves compassion when we are scared. Because the world needs people who will not run away. So, thank you is a great practice to ourselves for what's arising, to people, to situations, to reactions. Oh my God, can you say thank you to a reaction that you're having? <laughs> I had one this morning, some, some email came, and I was, had such a reaction, and I was like, thank you. <laughs> now what's true? Can we help this gentleman get to where he needs to go? Thank you. At this point in the talk, we stopped the recording. A gentleman needed medical attention, so he called 911. We had a doctor in the house as well to attend to him until they arrived. Today he's fine and resting. Thank you, everyone, for your steadiness and support. And uh, Fubai said he would be happy to speak with us if, if anybody needs to process anything further. So I'm going to conclude. and. <laughs> um, I actually have a poem that I'd like to end with. It's by Merwin. It's called Thanks. And I might add a line. Listen. With the night falling, we are saying thank you. With David falling, we are saying thank you. We are stopping on the bridges to bow from the railings. We are running out of the glass rooms with our mouths full of food to look at the sky and say thank you. We are standing by the water, thanking it, standing by the windows, looking out in our directions, back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging after funerals. We are saying thank you. After the news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, we are saying thank you. Over telephones, we are saying thank you. In doorways and in the backs of cars and in elevators, remembering wars and the police at the door and the beatings on stairs, we are saying thank you. In the banks, we are saying thank you. In the faces of the officials and the rich and all of us who will never change, we go on saying thank you, thank you. With the animals dying around us, taking our feelings, we are saying thank you. With the forests falling faster than the minutes of our lives, we are saying thank you. 
with the words going out like cells of a brain, with the cities growing over us, we are saying, thank you, faster and faster, with nobody listening. We are saying, thank you, thank you, we are saying and waving dark, though it is. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.